Amen. We believe it, don't we? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for that song, the inspiration, and the truth of it. Amen. Well, it's so nice to see the church full, the young people coming in, and those that are connected with us, live streaming. God bless them and all who will ever see the service and be blessed by it. Today is uh, Remembrance Day, and, uh, the day we remember where treaties were signed and armistice was signed, 11th day of the 11th month, 11th hour, and boys could stop being killed on all sides and all fronts, and it was uh, the end of a birth pain. Second birth pain, we're told. And we are, we are remembering those who fought and died fighting for a cause of freedom. The prophet said, in the rising of the sun, there's been many fine little babies born, and there's been many men who have suffered and died for a real cause. But there never was one that could raise himself up again until this day. The day of the resurrection. That separated it. There's many people that are in church today. Many people that are fulfilling the same offices. Song leaders, musicians, technical people, deacons, trustees, preachers evangelists, and whatever more. Uh, But there is one thing that uh, separates them from others, or us from others, and uh, that is that the Word of God has promised certain things to happen in this hour. And if you are part of that happening No matter who you are, it separates you from everyone else who may be filling a similar position. Now I kind of dropped a little bit of a a bomb on where I'm going today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? Brother Brother Murphy is going to be speaking tonight. Amen. Right now he's just upstairs. He's going to be, he's translating the messages, of course. And uh, he's kind of doing double duty right now because he's getting the butterflies lined up as well. <laughs> I just asked him, he's getting them lined up. Yeah, he's getting them lined up. So you'll enjoy tonight. You want to, sure, all be here. And we're, remember, we're going to take a mission offering this evening. I'd like to just re- report, too, that... Uh, I had contact with uh, Brother Gary and actually Sister Deborah's uh, father in New Zealand. And uh, uh, the hospital, she requested that she might be moved to near to his bedside. This was on one day, and uh, she be, was speaking to him, uh, you know, just doing whatever she could. He, he was still in an unconscious state at that time. And uh, then I felt in the email to 
address some things. And I just spoke specifically about uh, read the scripture in his ear because I understand. I'm not in the medical field, but I understand from the medical people that the, the last sense to actually depart a body is the hearing and that they can hear when they're still in an unconscious state. So I said, read the scripture to him. Uh, play the prophet's message in an earpiece in his ear. Uh, sing songs. And, uh, and, and she had been actually doing that, apparently. And I heard from her father, and he said she sang Amazing Grace to him. And, uh, uh, and while she held his hand, he squeezed her hand. And he has, a, he has a, a, a saying that he would say, which is when he'd say, raise the mainsail. So that was one of his phrases. So she said, Gary, if you understand me, she wanted to know what comprehension he had because they said his brain was damaged, but they didn't know how damaged. So she said, raise the mainsail. And he started to raise his arm as much as he could. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we're really thankful for that. Amen. God bless Brother Gary and Sister uh, Deborah Walker, in the name of Jesus Christ. We're remembering them in our, <clears throat> it continued in our prayers. Amen. All right, we're ready for the word. Thank you. I'll have you turn in the Bible to Second uh, Peter, the first chapter. And we're going to begin reading at the 16th verse. I trust also that uh, you'll just be very, very much in prayer. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a message that I want to speak next Sunday. And uh, I, I, Lord willing, I'm very hesitant. I hardly ever announce a, a next Sunday's message. But I, I would like to speak on the open door uh, next Sunday. Lord willing. And perhaps you'll understand a little bit more next Sunday, perhaps why you're here, uh, why the church is actually in this location, why we are substantially uh, uh, a very international congregation, and many from each side of the border, and we have special complications and difficulties but which has made the congregation somewhat unique, and we have overcome those difficulties over the years. But I will say this, that God himself ordained that the congregation and the people that are here from wherever they are, from Europe, from the UK, from Russia, from Africa, from the United States, from Canada, wherever they're from, God has ordained that those you individuals are here for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to propagate and send this message to witness it here and around the earth. And that is why you're here. That is specifically why you're here. And I wish to speak about it on the open door next Sunday 
And I'm praying that God, if you will pray this week, that God will grip you with a, with a, 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 a mighty uh, feeling of commitment and devotion to a cause. I believe we have a cause. We're remembering today men who fought for a cause. And we have, we have those here who were veterans and have fought in different wars and have fought for a cause and were ready to lay their life down at a moment's notice. Didn't know when they would pick up a bullet. And they have fought for a cause. The, the country, the world has been bathed in blood. You know that. And we have a cause that far exceeds any of these causes. And I think that we need to realize that. And this message this morning will perhaps be preparatory towards next Sunday. Let's just pray before we read. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, feeling a sense of direction, we want to follow so keenly in your uh, leadership and pray, O oh God, that you'll move sovereignly upon this congregation. Uh, these are not things that can be accomplished or achieved by man's wisdom or men's efforts or those of, uh, uh, of the uh, science or intelligence of this day. We need you, oh God. We need and desire the Holy Spirit. We thirst after you, Lord. We thirst after the living God. You're the only one that can satisfy the thirst of our soul. And I pray, oh Lord, that you'll pour out yourself as you poured out freely this message, oh God. We've been anointed by that. This is our anointing, Lord. And we move in that, we move in that realm, uh, knowing that we've been anointed for a purpose in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star Arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Especially the last verse, and the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you as you have your seats. So holy men of God were moved. Now I want to address the congregation today that 
Uh, we are moved, and this is the title of the thought and the message. This is my message title. Moved by the Holy Ghost in the Bride Age. Moved by the Holy Ghost in the Bride Age. I'm going to be rather deliberate this morning. I probably could take two services, but uh, I will cover as much as I can and then perhaps continue on next Sunday with the open door. The word moved that Paul has used, or rather Peter has used here, is to bring forth or to bear something, to carry some burden. Not to carry something light, but to carry some burden and to bear with oneself. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. It is to, it is to be conveyed even they were being conveyed. The prophets themselves, the holy men of God, were being conveyed by the very thing, the impulse that was within them. It is to carry some burden or to be conveyed. And the suggestion is that it is to be conveyed with force or speed. Something that is like driven by a wind. And that is why, and I'll refer to the scripture later on, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was as a mighty rushing wind. It was a force. And the force wasn't just some phenomena, but it was something that entered them. And they became a part of this force. And they could not understand it always, but they were being driven by this force. And this, to be moved as of persons, they've given an analogy here, an example of persons that are born in a ship over the sea and a gust of wind or a rush of wind moves them and they don't have really any power over it. And as Jesus said, he, uh, when Nicodemus was asking him about being born again, he said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And you hear the sound, but you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. In, under, in other words, you don't understand its origin, and you don't understand its, its objective, but you know that you're caught in it. Amen. Amen. You know that you're born again. When you're born again, you know that you've been born again. But perhaps you don't understand why, why God called you, and what he's going to do with you. And it's a good thing that we don't. God moved uh, by his word or his breath. And he breathed this through his prophets for the purpose of bringing change. That was the purpose. To bring change. To bring deliverance. To bring redemption. To bring restoration. And at times, to bring judgment. All of those. God moved through them. Once it was spoken, it didn't necessarily happen right then. Sometimes didn't take place for some years later or even centuries later. But once it was spoken by God, that's God's word, it will happen. You have confidence in that? It will happen. And now we have a promise which is spoken by a prophet in this day. And this is what he has said in Christ revealed in his own word. Prophets did not always understand what they were writing or what they were saying 
or they would have in no wise have said it. They couldn't, have, they couldn't understand it. So now a prophet speaks things that he doesn't even understand, completely understand. And he said if they did understand it, they would not have said it. Think how far-reaching, how maybe it would have been frightening to them to speak such words that have such a profound effect. They would maybe speak some words to uh, a, a number of people, not realizing that this is going to affect the entire nation and perhaps other nations also. Uh, now here, here's two quotes that I want to give you right now with a promise, and that's why I have called it Moved by the Holy Ghost in the Bride Age. In the spoken words, the original seed... Brother Branham makes this, uh, makes this not a comment, but a promise. He said, notice what harmony, I was giving an example, what harmony Jesus never did anything until he seen the Father or the Father showed him first. Now he calls that harmony. That was real oneness. The harmony between God and Christ. And he goes to John 5 and 19. So will the bride, so will the bride. And he shows her his word of life, and she receives it. She never doubts it. Now, let's listen closely. Nothing can harm her, not even death. For if the seed be planted, the water will raise it up again. He said, here is the secret. The word is in the bride and the mind of Christ to know what he wants done with the word. Here's not only the secret, but men of God were moved as as by the Holy Spirit. They were moved and they spake. Men of God spake as they were moved. That's not 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. That is in our time. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And when they spake, it was God pouring through, as it were, uh, uh, just an orifice, a very small opening. He was pouring through, as Brother Branham said, uh, as he was functioning and operating in that prophetic office. He said to me, it it is like 10,000 volts going through a small wire. Just think of it now. But now, it wasn't God just pouring those 10,000 volts or pouring this mass uh, content of his word, which would be specifically the, the promise for that hour. It was the God of life, the author of life, the author of eternal life. It is the creator of heavens and earth. It is the God of the universe. It's the God that fills all time and space. And now he's got a certain word that has been held and prophesied by the prophets for a certain hour. And he's got to pour the revelation of that word into that messenger to let him know this is the moment. This is the hour. And the people who are to receive it are here. They're also living. I have also raise them up. You must give this word out. And so it pours through that little port as it were. That orifice as it were. That little fine wire. And then it and then it and then it begins to it's dissemination. Then it begins to flow out. 
And from that individual, it is, it's received by others. And the bride knows what he wants done with the word. She has the word in her. And she has the mind of Christ. So she has that. So she knows what to do with it. In Pergamon, Pergamon church age, notice how the same phrases he used. He starts out, notice the harmony of the father and the son. Just exactly. And these are, these are messages that are not together. They're a, a distance apart in time. Jesus never did anything until it was first showed him by the father, John five nineteen. This harmony is now in existence. Or, I'm sorry. This harmony is now to exist between the groom and his bride. He shows her his word of life. She receives it. She never doubts it. Same, same words. Therefore, nothing can harm her, not even death. For if the seed be planted, the water will raise it up again. He said, here is the secret of this. The word is in the bride as it was in Mary. The word has the mind, the bride has the mind of Christ, for she knows what he wants done with the word. I just want to stop there and say this on the authority of this promise. Those you that, those of you who believe with all your heart and soul, I am a member of the bride of Jesus Christ. You do know that God raised you up in this day. You know you've been born. You have earthly parents. But your life has gone perhaps in a strange direction. Others may not have seen it as such a strange direction, but you haven't lived it all out yet. So it's gone in a strange direction. I can say to you authoritatively, the bride, we know what he wants done with this word. Hallelujah. We may not always find it Easy or simple as simple task. But we know what he wants done with the word. And by God's grace, we're getting that word out. We know he wants us to believe it, so we've believed it. He know, we know he wants us as witnesses, so we're witnesses. We know that he wants us to, to propagate and to publicize the message. And so we are attempting to do that. We know what he wants done with the word. So, Paul said also, and when, in the book of Acts, and Silas and Timotheus, Timotheus uh, were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. It wasn't just something that he had learned and he had heard and said, oh, let me tell you what I heard. No, it wasn't just that way. He was pressed. Pressed in his spirit. He had to tell them. This was, this was something that God was issuing through him. He, he, it wasn't even something within his own control. He had to say it. He had to do it. I'm stressing this. Paul also said in Romans. And when Silas, I'm sorry, I am a debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the unwise. And this debtor is a very, very interesting word. If Paul was a debtor, we're also debtors. Would you agree with me? A debtor, of course, is one who owes another. 
one held by some obligation, bound by some duty. That's a debtor. And it comes from a second compound word to, to be bound by debt and, and uh, 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 even a little bit further to be guilty. Now, uh, to be bound by debt, I'm, I wouldn't ask who of us here don't have debts because there'd probably be very few. We all owe something. And it's an amazing thing what you owe. It just gnaws on you. Just stays there all the time. You might forget it for a little while, but it's just there. That credit card, I'd just like to chop the thing up and get rid of it. And the people said, oh, that's what I thought. Just, oh, I just can't wait till this car is paid off. Oh, I can't wait till this. And then something is paid off. It just, you feel so light. How come? Oh, that debt is gone. Well, Paul says, I'm a debtor. I've got a burden. I'm bound. I'm bound to this. I have an obligation. I have a duty. I can't shake it off because my debtor is to them. My debt is to the barbarians. My debt is to the Jews or whoever. I'm a debtor. That thing was weighing on him. Are you getting the picture? It weighed on him. You know, when the, when the word of God is weighing upon us, the pressure of the word to, to do because the bride has the mind of Christ and has the word. So we don't just have the word and say, oh, I got such a wonderful treasure. Oh, my goodness. This is so glorious. That's not what it is. It's a weight. It's a pressure because there's something to be done with that word. I have, uh, I have really pondered and I've spoken over the years a number of times. I've spoken about Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And Mary, of course, the five women that are in the first verse of the New Testament. Not the first verse, but the first two verses of the New Testament. And the record of these women, I have detailed them, and it would take a whole service. But I detailed regarding Tamar as the daughter-in-law of Judah and how she deceived, really, her father-in-law when he would not give her the youngest son. Her, her husband died. God slew the second brother who was supposed to take her to wife but wouldn't give her seed. He spilled the seed in the ground and God slew him. And the other boy, Sheila, was young. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so uh, Judah said, go to your father's house and put on the garments of widowhood. And then you know the story how that she then heard of uh, Judas coming with his friend to shear the sheep near their place. And so she put on the garments of harlotry, changed her garments. And to you young ladies, Brother Branham actually spoke about it. Don't, don't take it out of context because it's very much in context. The way women dress today. And he put it to prostitution and harlotry. There is garments of harlotry even back then. And there is garments of widowhood. She put on the garment of widowhood and then put on the garments of harlotry and sat by the roadside. And Judah went by, saw her, and, and asked if he could come in to her, uh, which he did. But she said, what will you give me? 
And he said, well, I'll give you this ring or this bracelet. He gave her three objects, and she took those objects and became pregnated by Judah's seed. And Judah, Judah went home and heard later that his daughter-in-law was pregnant, and he called and said, bring her here and burn her for the penalty of what she had done. And when, and when they brought her to him, he, he said, she said, before you burn me, before you do this, uh, here are the objects of the man of whose child I'm carrying, and handed him his own things. And he said, Tamar is more righteous than I am. But I, and I have said, because I've been so impressed by it for a number of years, she was not merely wanting, she didn't desire a husband, that's not in the book. She wasn't desiring a sexual relationship, that isn't why she was doing it. She didn't even desire just a child. None of those things. There was a force driving her that goes beyond anything you could understand. She looked, as it were, with disdain upon the penalty. She scoffed at the stoning. She scoffed at the death and the disrespect it would bring her and everything else because she was being driven by a force. And it was none less than God. You can never understand that. But she literally, by doing that, placed herself in the genealogy as a mother, one of the mothers of Jesus Christ. This is the generation of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And the Bible tells us that Judah by Tamar brought forth Pharaoh. And five generations later, from Pharaoh, five generations brought Solomon. Brother Branham said Solomon was an officer in the army of Israel. And, it's in, and, and, and uh, uh, Solomon, then by Rahab, Solomon took Rahab the harlot. And by Solomon, by Rahab, brought forth Boaz. And Boaz, by uh, Ruth, the Moabitish. And if you take this, uh, 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 such a degraded background that they come from, that Ruth came from, the Moabites came, the whole nation came by incestuous birth of Lot and his daughters. And that was her background. And you see that this, you see the whole lineage. In, in the, I, I asked myself why, you know, they couldn't have had like Sarah or Esther or Rebecca or, or Leah or some of these other great women of the scripture that didn't have this kind of background. Why couldn't they be in the lineage of Jesus Christ? But there was something in every one of these women, all four of them, they have one thing in common, which I've spoken to you about previously, but others perhaps getting it now at a different level. Each one of them received seed. They received the right kind of seed. And that was what, what they all have in common. All four of them. Tamar received Judah's seed. It had to be that way. Because Jesus in the Revelation, the fifth chapter, the fifth verse, is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And Satan was trying to extinguish that lineage. And God would not permit it. 
And he allowed a woman to, to degrade herself in such utter disrespect and have such total abandonment to the penalty of, of the burning and the stoning for her adultery and her harlotry. She just abandoned completely every kind of thought of, of, of what, what she was stooping to because there was a force. You can only say this. There was a force within her that was causing her to do what wasn't acceptable to the public. The uncommon thing, more than that, it was a force within her. And, she, and, and by doing so, that power within her, that force within her, placed her into the New Testament as a, one of the mothers of Jesus Christ. And Solomon by Rahab, and Boaz by Ruth, and David by Bathsheba. And I, I couldn't... That's why I made a comment with Brother Kayumbi, who's incidentally preaching in Edmonton not right now. And Brother Didier is there with him to interpret. But uh, he began to speak about Bathsheba. And I was bringing out to the people, I spoke probably the last half hour on it, down in uh, Murfreesboro. And how Bathsheba, her husband Uriah, and he was such an honorable man. And uh, David, after Bathsheba was pregnated with his seed... And in, in, a, in a sinful way because he repents over his sin. If you read the first about 40 chapters of, of the book of Psalms, you'll find many of those chapters of David's repentance. And that's why he was such a man after God's own heart. But because of that, God slew that child. But David wanted to make it out as though it was Uriah's. So he was, and Uriah was a soldier in David's army. And so uh, they made arrangement, send him to war. Send him into the battle. Now, don't let him be back here. Send him to the battle. And Uriah slept on the, on the steps all night. He said, me, go in, have pleasure with my wife and my, my friends, my buddies are out here fighting. No way. I'll sleep on the steps all night. And he refused to be with his wife. And now David, David had no way around it. And so he told Joab, uh, Joab, I believe it was, his captain of the host, take him right to the front lines in the heat of the battle. And when the battle's hot, draw back and let him be slain. And Uriah was killed. And Bathsheba brings forth Solomon. And like I asked the people back in Murfreesboro, and I've said it here before, I'll ask it again because the congregation is a little different. And different people are streaming. Could anyone else bring forth Solomon? Solomon? No. It had to be Bathsheba. You say, I don't understand that. A good thing you don't understand it. But there is one thing that we do understand. You say, well, those things, even the scripture speaks against them. Yes. But there's a, there's a page here. These are, this is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And over here, they did what they did because they were being pressed to do it by a force from within. And over here, they're, in the, they're the mothers of Jesus. But between the Old Testament and the New Testament happens to be the Calvary and the cross and the blood. And everything from here was completely... Over here, over here, Brother Branham said Abraham backslid. But over here, it says nothing of that. It says he's a father of the faith. Over here, Jacob was a shyster. But over here, he's not a shyster anymore. 
Over here, men failed. Over here, men sinned. Over here, they did all kinds of things. But when they come right there, imagine going from that right into the, right into the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Where did you come from? Where did you come from? Born in sin and shapen in iniquities. And you come onto the other side and now you are, you are the embodiment of the New Testament. Hallelujah. Not just in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ. And the bride knows what he wants done with his word because she's even heard his secrets. She's heard his, he, she's heard his whispering. She's heard it. And he said she's received it. Is it all right? <clears throat> I've attempted to understand this. And I think that there's something more for us to try to grasp what was driving them. Each renounced what was regarded as honorable. Loss of character. They yielded themselves with total, total abandonment to the higher calling of the Spirit of God within them. And I said that all four of them had one thing in common, and that was this. They all received seed. I know I've said this before. I want to say it again. Tamar received Judah's seed. Rahab received Solomon's seed. Ruth received Boab's seed. Boaz's seed. And Bathsheba received David's seed. And when they received the seed, one that was a harlot, Rahab, was lifted up into the motherhood of Jesus. And when Ruth received Boaz's seed, she, Boaz didn't lower himself. She was lifted up. And Bathsheba, she was lifted up to be the queen and to bring forth Solomon. And the prophet said Solomon actually brought forth, he said, essentially a, a millennium in Israel. The most glorious of kingdom and the wisest of men brought forth this from Bathsheba. Couldn't come any other way. And in the end time, here comes an age. Well, I'm going to be on ages. Better look at my watch and keep it here. Should I or should I not? Okay. I'll just look at it now and turn it over. The age. They had a, almost like a millennial age. And now we are in another age. And we have received the word for this whole age. For this whole time. And I want to, I want to focus and concentrate on that a wee bit. On the age and, and uh, what, it, what it means to us. And the message that God has sent us. I'd like to use a few examples, if I could, please, from the ages that the world has gone through. And I want you to think of them as I speak of them for just a few moments. The ages that the world, the world has gone through distinct ages. Great shifts in humanity have taken place. And sometimes it was driven by a force that would come through one individual. And he may change the whole 
uh, the, 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 the entire picture of the entire globe, just one person. Uh, and these periods of civilization now are, are overlaid by the church ages. Because only a prophet could identify the church age, so he describes the church age. But we know from history that there are certain things that have happened. And uh, we're, we're acquainted, I'm sure, with the, what is called the age of the Renaissance. And the age of the Renaissance was from the 1400s into the 1500s or thereabout. Renaissance is a French word that means rebirth. And historians consider the Renaissance to be the beginning of modern history. And during these years, popes, now this is just historical, but they go back to the religious part of it. During these years, or the years of the Renaissance, popes strove to make Rome the capital of Christendom. So now that's what was happening there. And while projecting it through art and architecture and literature as the center of the golden age of unity, of order, and of peace. So now, of course, we in the message, we've had uh, Brother Branham literally took the cloak and tore it off of Rome and exposed her completely. And he had to because he's a messenger. And in Revelation it says concerning her uh, that her skirts, she's full of adultery. And the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her. But way back then, even in the age, the age of the Renaissance, when the world, the population, humanity was recognizing, oh, this is a glorious age. This is a wonderful age. Modern things were coming into, into our art. And this was a great artist of Michelangelo and, and Da Vinci. And some of these people were, were coming at that time. And that's when a lot of the masters of, of art and science and civilization was advancing. But during that time also, there's a, a spiritual thing that was happening at the same time. Then there's the age of the industrialization, the age of industrial revolution, a period from the 18th centuries when major changes in agriculture and manufacturing and transportation had a profound effect upon the entire globe at that time. And those conditions spread, spread, they said, throughout Europe and North America and eventually the world. Then I'm not going to belabor these because I want to stay on the spiritual side. And now in the age of technology, there isn't anyone here who could give me a sound answer. I would like to have it if you have it. Why, from just after all these thousands of years, and great intellectual men, and Brother Branham, I'm well aware of what he said about the days of Noah and how advanced they were and the uh, atomic power that they had and the pyramids that were built. I'm well aware of that. But why is it that man has gone for all these centuries of time, smart men, intelligent men, committed men? I mean, they were, they were given to causes, but somehow they were not able to put together the elements They were not able to bring together what was going to take place in the Industrial Revolution and the the revolution of technology. These are ages that actually took place. Not periods of time that I'm not interested in the periods of time, but these things took place. And just from the early 1800s, look where we are. 
Look where we are just from the 1900s forward. It says of Martin Luther. Now Martin Luther was born November the 10th, yesterday, anniversary of yesterday. In an extremely tense world. In 1483, that's when he was born. And Luther set off on his last trip on January 17th. 1546 and on 1455 the first Bible is printed in 1455 now that's when printing so printing was starting in that era of time and God was allowing that I mean there isn't anyone here that would that would suggest that wasn't that God wasn't aware that God was allowing that God has used that He's used the technology. He used the advancement. But now here's Rome. And here's the rest of the world. They're all enraptured with all this architecture and this advancement and the renaissance and all of these things. They're going one direction. God's going another direction. And during this time, do you think the 68 million martyrs that died, young and old, no doubt children and teenagers, like you teenagers sitting here. And if you are facing the stake, or facing the guillotine, or facing death for, your, for going to Cloverdale Bible Way, I'd like to know this morning, what would your stand be? Well, just where would you be when it came right down to the fine wire? But there was something within the bride of that age. There was a spirit upon her that she had received. A spirit pressing through her to fulfill the word of God for that hour. And she was anointed with the ox spirit. And she couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand it. The young people couldn't understand it. Deacons couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand it. But they were driven to it. Hallelujah. And that same power, I say, is in the bride today. It has to be. Because what we have today is the accumulation of the lion age and the man age and the ox age and the eagle age. We have it all today. That's not to make you feel good, but that's to cause you to feel a sense of responsibility. Also, say, oh God, let me give myself over to this. We're not here just to go to school or just to go to a job. We're not here just to make a living and to pay our bills. We're here for a much higher calling. And yet all of those things, these people worked. These people worked the field. These people planted. These people harvested. They worked and worked hard. And these, the things that the people did was just their ordinary life. I, I can just tell you that Rahab, even after, the, even after the two spies were there, and even showed her the token and told her where to put it, she was still a harlot. She was a harlot till she received seed. And you and I in this age, in this darkest of age, in this most deceived of age, God sent a prophet with the original spoken word, which he said is the spoken word seed. Yes. Hallelujah. Brother Branham wasn't lower, a lower class of a prophet because he went to the denominations or he went to all of these places or he went to the Christian businessmen. Not at all. Then the seed came out of his mouth. The bride that was out there received that seed and she was elevated. Tamar was elevated. 
Ruth was elevated. Rahab was elevated. Bathsheba was elevated. And the bride today is elevated by receiving the seed. Only one thing. And we have that in common with the mothers of Jesus. They received the seed. Each one of them received the seed. And you and I can say today, I've received the seed. And if the seed did that for them, what will the seed do for you? Says brought them into the lineage of Jesus Christ. The seed in my day, I'm pregnated with a seed. The living word of God spoken by the bridegroom and made me his wife. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can praise God, give glory to him. Martin Luther caused a wave, a revolution. He was considered a rebel. It was just his daily life. I think a man that brought great change to Israel at least was David Ben-Gurion. A little warrior with his hair out like Einstein. But yet, I tell you what, friends, they were burning with such a, such a desire, more than a desire, a force was within them. The world called it Zionism. They didn't care what you call it. They knew one thing. This land is ours. This promise is ours. And the word of God is true. And they promised us this land. That's what they, and they were consumed with. Shoot me, kill me, burn me, do what you want to do. But you can't change the promise of God. Can you say amen? I hope this is a life-changing message for a lot of people here today. And a lot of people that will listen to it in the future. I have such a great passion within my heart. I can't describe it. It's a force. I have to get this word out. We have to make it known. We have to live it. And it's not in word only, but it's in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I believe the sick should still be healed. I don't relegate that to a second Paul. The sick should still be healed. It's a promise of God. Those bound should be delivered. It's a shame to remain bound. It's a shame to remain in that depressed state. Shake it off in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's our God. That's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We won't take those acts away from Him. Hallelujah. This is the bride's portion. We think of these men who had a great influence on the earth and changed it and brought in a different age. And operating within their age, they weren't caught up with, am I in the right day or in or not, they just knew that that's the day God brought them. I've been really affected also. I don't want to preach on it or say much about it. But I, maybe because of my age or the, where I'm at in my life, but I really try to come to grips with just beyond. Or say, well, oh, you know, the change of our body and all these things and the rapture, and I just can't wait. But I, I, I ponder, and I spend a lot of time pondering, and you also want to do it. When you actually cross over, what then? When you actually cross over, what then? When we actually give an account 
for our deeds in our life. What then? Are we people that tear apart? Or are we people that bring together? Are we people that build bridges? I've, I've actually dedicated my life to seek to build bridges. I think that is a more honorable thing. Anybody can do anything else. Anybody can be destructive. And it's not hard to tear down, but it's really hard to build up. And I've done some tall thinking about that. When we cross over, what then? Brother Branham said in a resume of the church ages, Luther had the spirit of God, but his age was not the age of full restoration. By another outpouring, by another outpouring like in the beginning, it was the same with Wesley, Booth, Knox, Whitfield, Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, Mueller, etc. These are great men that you have heard about or perhaps even read about. Surely they were full of the Holy Ghost. Yes, they certainly were. But the age in which each lived was not the age of restoration. And the age that you have been raised up in happens to be the age of full restoration. Oh God, let the fullness of even that phrase literally grip every person so that your energy and your strength and your vitality and your youth and your resources is consumed with that. I don't want God, I don't want to have to step into God's presence if I dropped from a heart attack this afternoon. I don't want to step in God's presence and have him say, I raised you in the age of full restoration. You heard a most glorious message. You saw the light of it shed over the earth. What did you do with it? What did you occupy yourself with? What was your main purpose in life? And you know God doesn't have to ask those questions because it will flood our own soul. He says it's the age of, they didn't have the age of full restoration. Neither was any, any age but this last age. I want you to go home today after the service realizing that the bride age is an age of full restoration. Full restoration. Not full desperation as such. Not full despondency, not full defeat, full restoration. Now that's a vindicated prophet's words. Do with it what you wish, but I'm making you responsible for that word. It is an age of full restoration. The bright age. In the Laodicean age, this is how it's described, our age. God says this church of the Laodicean age is wretched. The word comes from two Greek words which means endure and trial. 
And it has nothing to do with the trials that come to a true Christian for God. Of, for God. Uh, it describes a, a Christian in a trial as blessed. And his attitude, one of joy, whereas his description is phrased as wretched and miserable. How strange it is, he said, how strange it is in this age, this age of plenty, this age of progress, this age of abundance, how can there be trials? Well, now, he said, it is strange. But in this age of plenty and opportunity, when everyone has so much, and there is so much more to be had, with what with all the inventions to do our work, and so many things to give us pleasure, suddenly we find mental illness taking such a toll as to alarm the nation. When everybody ought to be happy with reality, with really nothing to be unhappy about, millions are taking sedatives at night, pep pills in the morning, rushing to doctors, entering institutions, and trying to drown out unknown fears by alcohol. Yes, he said, this age boasts of its tremendous stores of worldly goods, but the people are less happy than ever. This age boasts of spiritual attainments, but the people are less sure of themselves than ever. This age boasts of better moral values, and it is, it is more corrupt than any age since the flood. That happens to be the age, friends. I tell you what, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the same thing that moved holy men of God to speak. The scripture says they spake, but they didn't just speak. They spake as they were moved. There has to be a possession. There's something within the individual. And the prophet of God has said already, the bride has the mind of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is here to drive and cause us to do the right thing. To say the right thing. And sometimes it, 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 will, dep- it will require us to have a complete abandonment. I hate using personal examples. But when... When I resigned the position that I thought that God had given me, and I thought it was just the most wonderful answer to prayer, I always wanted to just be able to go to small churches and and do evangelistic work. We hadn't come to the knowledge of the message yet. I just I knew about Brother Branham's ministry, had met him now, and was was coming into a knowledge that the, there was a completely different. Uh, different message that he was bringing didn't know the message as we do today at all I just knew this was you know a great understanding of the word of God but I was being gripped in my heart and I knew that I was on a different course and on a different direction but at the same time you know I worked for a man who loved me like his son and he just 
He just let me do whatever I wanted to do. As long as the company was looked after, I could go preach. I could take services and uh, meetings and everything and for other pastors, which I did. And I could support myself. And I never had to ask for an offering and never had to depend on anyone. It was just wonderful. Just wonderful. I thought that was the most glorious answer to prayer, you know. And then one day, one day, I just you know, just start feeling a force within. You're going to leave this. You've got to leave this. No, that's, that's, I just pushed that aside. That's not possible. This is the answer to prayer. This is where I've always wanted to be. And it's for the Lord's work. And I couldn't get that away. Oh, friends, it troubled me at night. So you're going to leave this. You're going to leave this. You know how long I pressed it down? Nine months. I pressed it down. I pressed it away. Finally, I had two dreams. When I woke up out of those dreams... I knew God had already spoken to me sovereignly. And the clincher was then I, I went and I went to another meeting down in Jeffersonville. And I'm standing outside and my wife and daughters are inside. They got a seat and I'm standing outside and all the people flowing out the double doors. And I'm standing just, oh, crowd of people all around. I'm just standing there and. I got so I could see the pulpit right through between the heads of the people that were there. And uh, I felt someone take a hold of my elbow and just nudge it like that. And said, uh, it was Brother Doc Branham, Brother Branham's brother. says, oh, Brother Eddie, he said, Brother Branham just arrived. He'd like to see you. So I, I said, okay. So I went with him, went to the back, and we stepped in that little, little tiny office. And... Uh, there he, he's sitting with his, actually his back, he's facing the wall to a little wee tiny desk, like a student's desk in, in a chair. And one other straight back chair right here. That's all it was in there. One little desk and a, a chair he was in in this other chair. And Brother Doc Branham says, oh, Brother Branham, here's Brother, here's Brother Eddie. Oh, he's like, oh my. He said, welcome, Brother Eddie. It's so nice to see you. And he slid the other chair out and he said, sit down. You know, sit down. And so I sat down, and he slid his chair in front, and uh, uh, our knees were touching. And I just remembered that because, you know, I wasn't accustomed to that, being that close. And uh, th- then he took my hands, you know, like this, both, both hands. Oh, he said, it's so nice to see you, Brother Eddie. And I said, yeah, Brother Branham, it's nice to be here. I would love to have talked to him. I'd love to have bared my heart to him. I'd love to have tell him what I was struggling with. But uh, th- this wasn't the opportune time. This wasn't the time. And and so he said, uh, so, "So nice to see you." And I said, "Yes, Brother Branham. And, you know, maybe we'll we'll see each other this fall or something." You know, and uh, and he put his head back like that. He said. He kind of he closed his eyes, just kind of, he would close his eyes a little bit like that. He said, you know, every time I see a brother, Eddie said, I see Indians. Oh. I took my lip and I bit it. I didn't want to cry in front of him, but already I couldn't speak. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, brother Branham, he said, and then they started to sing, only believe. And he said, he said, there's my cue. He said, uh, uh, so he said, now, 
I'd like you to really hear this, hear the message this morning, and I want you to sit here in my chair. And I said, oh, no, no, I got scared. I said, no, no, no. I said, I have an excellent place out there, and I can see right through the pulpit. No, no, no. He said, I, I want you to sit here. So you can hear the you can hear the service and you know it'll be really nice you'll be comfortable. I said no, Brother Brown, I'll, I'll just go outside. I'll go outside where I was. No, no, he says I, I want you to. So then he essentially helped me sit in a chair, <laughs> and I sat in in Brother Brown's chair. And I'm ashamed to say I don't remember the service. I was, I don't remember exactly what service it was. I, whether it was the rising of the sun. Or one of those services, I can tell you, you know, proving his word and different ones. But uh, I, I just can't remember exactly what day that was. But I sat in his chair and listened to him preach. But I said, all of this, I'm getting a little personal this morning. I said, all of this was because I had to come to a place of just total abandonment. It doesn't mean everybody should leave their job. I'm not saying that at all. Everybody has to leave their comfort zone. I'm not saying that. But there comes times in a person's life when you don't really understand, but you know that there's a godly force. There's something within that's pressing you to do something beyond reason, beyond the acceptable. And when I went around and told some other people I'm leaving, they, they, thought, I'd, you know, they thought I'd lost it, and I thought I'd lost it. And when I got here to Cloverdale and sitting in a 40-year-old house with an unfinished basement and a great big octopus of a, of a furnace, oil, burning oil, and I left a nice four-bedroom, you know, brick home that the company was paying for, and now I'm paying all the bills, it certainly didn't make any sense. And there are things that take place in our life. And so I just said, I give this little interval in my message to let you know I'm not just preaching. I'm telling you, Something that's a reality in my own life. And we as believers, you've had to abandon families. Brother, I think of the Waldner family often. I, I have such an admiration. I see Brother Joe raise his hand. Such an admiration, people to leave mother, an aged mother, to leave her in the colony in total abandonment. And even take the young daughters. Sister Kathy came and later Sister Marilyn. To leave mother and your, your mom. And the reason I respect that is because I've had to ask myself, would I be able to do that? And you would if, the, if that force within you says, I've got to get next to this. I've got to hear this. I've got to go to a certain place. And listen, the reason why I want to come to next Sunday is because there's, there are other churches and so on. I have to, myself, I have to have a great respect. God, God ordained what's happened here to happen for a purpose that's more than I understand, Brother Ernie. I don't understand it all. I do not understand it. I'm here making a confession. I don't understand. But God brought the men and the women of certain talents and certain capabilities and certain just certain lives to live in this area as a testimony for Jesus Christ. And we can say today, we're the bride. And we've heard the word. Hallelujah. 
And people come from Bosnia and Serbia, come from Yugoslavia, come from Germany, come from Europe, come from wherever, come from, come from Russia, wherever we've come from. And we've come from all sorts of different backgrounds, but God knows what he's doing. Can you say amen for me? God knows what he's doing. He knows why you're sitting where you are today. He knows why you're hearing this service. He's seeking to quicken that Holy Spirit. And man of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We've been moved. We are greatly moved. Can I continue on for a few more moments, please? As they were moved with this force, God's prophets initiated waves of change. Micah said, the prophet Micah, he said, But truly, I am full of power of the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is what he was moved by. And I can assure you, it was not an easy task. And your prophet in this day comes up and takes Amos, the first chapter I think of Amos, and begins to speak on the way of a true prophet. He says he come down off the hill and Israel was in their prosperity and his little bald head uh, gleaming with the perspiration from the heat of the day and his stroking his beard and rubbing his head and coming down and seeing Israel in all of their, all of their benefits and their soft living and their prosperous life and he had to come and start crying out against them. That was not an easy task. But I tell you today, friends, believe me with all your heart, there was a force within. There was a force within them. They had to declare it. And when Brother Branham stood up, a man so kind and so so loving as he was, stand up in this generation say, I indict this generation for the second crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That was not an easy task. It speaks of John the Baptist and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He shall go before him. And, and, and now you see that little uh, fine wire, that little orifice, that little human vessel, that this whole force of God said the hour's arrived. The seals must be open. The hour's arrived. The lamb is taking the book. The hour's arrived. The lion is going to rip the seals off. The hour's arrived. All the mysteries must be made known. Oh, my brother, my sister, what an hour. What an hour. What a day. The hour's arrived. And I've, I've, I've brought up a vessel. I've crushed him. I spoke to you about it. I've crushed him. I've molded him. I put him through the fire and the furnace. I've taken his wife. I've taken his baby daughter. It was him begging me not to do it. But I took her anyway. Because the vessel had to be crushed. This is a vessel that's going to receive the word. This is a vessel that's going to receive the mysteries. This is a vessel that's going to call out, My bride! I hope you're getting what I'm saying. I hope it's sinking in, friends. 
I hope you catch the burden of the word of the Lord today. Not my words merely, but the burden of the word of the Lord. We're living in a different age. Completely a different age. You're not of Laodicea. You're not of the 21st century. You're eternal. You're the bride of Jesus Christ. You've been given the mind of God by a prophet who was sent to this age to bring you into a bright age. Not the age of the Renaissance, not the age of technology, not the age of industrialization, but the bright age. Not even the seventh church age, but the bright age. This is the age of full restoration. This is the age when men and women are moved by the Holy Ghost. We do things we can't understand. We may move geographically and we cannot understand it. We may shift our occupation and we don't understand it. We may turn our back on success or we may turn, our, turn ourselves towards success because God needs it one way or the other. God knows. He knows what he's doing. He's placed you where you are. I'm preaching today that you have confidence that God Almighty is leading his people. And if you have any question about that, then you need to seek God on your own. Not just hear the sermon, but go to your place of prayer and say, Oh God, I've heard the word. And I believe that word. Hallelujah. He said that this. He speaks of this age. It talks about knowledge and science. Do we ever? You get a computer, you get some gadget. Listen to me close. And it's, it's almost antiquated before you get to know how to make it work. I got about a 70-year-old Mercedes car out there and uh, bought it used. After it was about six years old, I think it was. Maybe it's seven. It's coming on eight years old now. But anyway, the book to operate this thing is a catalog. I know how to stick the key in. I know how to start it. I know how to put it in reverse, and I know how to put it so it drives forward. I know how to operate the windows, and I figured out how to operate the seat. Perhaps not all the specialties of it, but I've figured those things out. I haven't given myself any gold star yet. It's got a navigational system in it. It might as well be in the Titanic. I haven't got a clue how that thing works. I've tried to make it work, and I can tell you that I'd be in Kalamazoo, Michigan, rather than where I need to go, because I can't figure that thing out. Navigation, my goodness, you've got to be a scientist to figure this thing out. You know, some of you are smiling because you're in the same boat as I am. And I haven't read or studied this whole thing. I don't have time to study this catalog to figure out. And then I have tried to read it. I don't want you to think little, too little of me. But when I've tried to read it, I can't understand it. I remember the first computer that I ever got. And Brother Rod brought it to my house. Or at least, I don't know where I got it. I think it was in a bankruptcy or something, Brother Rod. And anyway, he came over to set the thing up for me. And I, I don't know, all it is a big black terminal, big black screen to me. So 
Ah, yeah, he says, this thing, you know, it'll be simple. I'll set it all up. I've loaded it up for you. He says, good, all you have to do is turn it on. He says, okay. And Rod's got a little, a little evil streak in him. <laughs> so I got down in the morning. I was so excited. You know, I got my computer here, just a, and I turned it on. And here comes some music. Yankee Doodle went to town, went to town. I thought, that's not the way. I said, that's Rod Bergen for sure. Because I'm sure that's not what this thing's supposed to do. And so I hit another button. I read the book. And it says, now you'll do this. And there will be a cursor that will appear at the top left-hand corner of the screen. And I hit the button. No, there's no cursor. I get on the phone. Brother Rod, I'm following these instructions right to the letter. I've hit the right button. Says there will be a cursor on the left-hand upper corner, and there's no cursor there. He says, oh, yeah. I says, that's just computers. So what do you mean? You know, so that was my first lesson. It doesn't really mean what it says anyway. And it didn't give me a whole lot of confidence for the rest of my life. I, I, I can't even... Uh, I better stop this right here, but I'll just finish by saying this. I don't even read the book that says, uh, you know, uh, uh, computers are PCs for dummies. <laughs> I've never bought them. Because I don't want to go below that category. <laughs> but there's one thing I do know. I've learned a few things out of this book right here. I've learned a few things out of the message of the hour. We've learned some lessons, easy ones and difficult ones, but we've learned some lessons. And we understand something about what God is doing. I might not know about renaissance or industrialization or when the first steam engine in the early 1800s or late 17s was was invented and and came and spawned this great industrial revolution. But I know one thing. During the countdown... While things were advancing, God was advancing His church. God was calling out His bride in the midst of it. And she utilized those gifts. She utilized those talents and utilized the men that were reared up in that time. And then they discovered, oh my God, I've learned this for your kingdom. You've given me this for your kingdom. I'm the bride of Jesus Christ, the elect of God, according to the promise. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Easter seal, and I'm closing in just a few moments. I'm only on page four of nine. But I, I really wanted to emphasize this bright age. He says in the Easter seal, and that broke all the seals of gloom and scattered all the superstitions of other religions and so forth. When I talk about it in reality, there's a whole host of you sitting here today and are listening to me that were bound by the superstitions of religion and dominating you and holding you under their grip. And a word came that just broke the shackles of that in a moment of time and set you free. And darkness turned to light. Hallelujah. And he said, and, and where great men has raised up and said great marvelous things, but they're everyone in the grave. 
But our Christian religion is the only one who has an empty tomb. And that proves to me that he is God of the dead and God of the living. And he can raise up the dead back to life again. This quickening power, quickening spirit of his has proved through the years that he's the one who can quicken the dead back to life again. I'm thankful that the Wright brothers invented the the airplane machine and we can take it and cross the seas and go to some other land and spread the gospel to them. I'm happy for that. But the bride, if you can catch it, in the bride age, we're utilizing what man has done, what he's achieved, because God allowed him to achieve those things. In the unveiling of God, said Apostle Peter made that great statement. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you, for we are satisfied and we know assuredly that you and you alone have the word of life at this hour. And we're satisfied. See, he says they couldn't explain it. You can't explain faith. It's something. You can't explain faith. By faith I've received this word. You can't explain it. There was a force within you that caused you to do it. You might be saying, and I don't want you to misunderstand me to think today, that I'm speaking this message on my heart. It's really pressing on me. That you've got to feel some incredible thing. But the pressure that you do feel. The things that you do go through. I'm saying to you today. Is on behalf of the kingdom of God. If you're a body member of Jesus Christ. It won't always be easy. But you have to keep your eye focused on the fact that this is, I'm a member of the bride of Jesus Christ. And I am enduring these things. I'm going through these things for the glory of God. That's the purpose of it. Don't go quiet on me. You can't explain faith. It's something that you believe. And it's so solid that there's nothing else will take its place. Therefore, they knew that the word that was written for that age that they were living in the messiah age that he fit that place exactly and what could they do he says what could they do to go back to their old cold formal churches that they could that they came out of said where would we go we are fully persuaded that you have the word of life and they couldn't explain it but they believed it The Holy Spirit, under the pressure of life, and this is what I want to come to. The Holy Spirit, under the pressure of life, the pressure of life. How many of you remember when a grass, just a seed, bursts under a concrete block? Does it just give up? No, we know from the message. It goes out, he says, where's the greenest part of it? It's outside of the... Outside of the block of the concrete. It grows out there because there's something in it that's being called by the sunlight. We have been called by the sunlight. And there isn't anything. There isn't enough dirt in a grave. There isn't enough sickness. There isn't anything that can hold that life back. It's the life of this age. That's my point. The life of the bride age. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've experienced. Dismal things... Uh, uh, physical things, success, good business, bad business, whatever more, homes, whatever whatever you've endured, it's for one purpose. God raised you up for the kingdom of God. I want you to take these words very, very seriously. And then 
Uh, and, and then I want to give you this scriptures, these scriptures, please. In Matthew 21, 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased when they heard, heard these children and the young people. They were crying in the streets, and they were taking the palms off the trees, tearing them off. Now, if you'd been standing there, you might be saying, what are they doing? What, what is all this excitement? What are they caught up? We see it. And they're tearing it off and waving it and crying. Hosanna in the highest. They didn't even know it, but they were speaking the scripture. Amen. And the key phrase is that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet. That it might be fulfilled. And the scripture details a number of things that happen that's not necessarily uncommon. The Bible tells us. Are you listening? Yes. Give me another five or ten minutes and I'm, I'm going to just close. The Bible tells us that, that Joseph being warned in a dream. He took the young child and married his mother. And they went to Egypt. He's not the only man that went to Egypt. He's not the only man that loaded his wife onto a donkey and had a baby son and went to Egypt. And then while he's in Egypt for a while, hears that Herod died and he goes back. He's not the only one that journeyed back. People move back and forth all over. But his movement was different because he was moving strictly because it it was written and spoken by the prophet. Are you listening? And then the scripture tells us. And they went before. And they followed. Some of them went before him. And some of them followed him. And they cried. This, was a, this, was a, this wasn't a quiet Sunday service. This was out on the streets. And they didn't care much who was listening. They followed before and there was something surging through them. They had to do it. And we've heard it spoken. Maybe if even the next week, listen to me, the next week, they may also have been some of the same ones crying, crucify him, crucify him. But they were giving Hosanna praises and they were saying crucified both because the scripture must be fulfilled. There's a lot of churches with people sitting just dressed like you are today. I started out with this. Now I'm bringing it home. What makes you different? There's a lot of preachers preaching better sermons than I'm preaching. Standing behind pulpits with the same Bible in front of them. What would make me any different from them? Unless somehow we can find that link. But that it might be spoken. That it might be fulfilled. I am here that it might be fulfilled. 
God bless you, Brother Cottle. We are here because that it might be fulfilled. There had to be a calling out. There had to be a people. There had to be a bride. There had to be because it was called out. It was spoken. And in the end time, it says, in the closing of the book of Revelation, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come! Hallelujah! That it might be fulfilled. There has to be a bride in this hour saying, Come! That it might be fulfilled. All kinds of people can say, Come! But unless they are a direct result of the spoken word by a prophet, it doesn't count! Are you with me? A lot of people, better people, all kinds of people give to missions and give money in an offering plate. That's not the point. They're wonderful people. But unless the thing, the event that's happening is a direct result of the word of God, so you can pin it back and anchor it and say, this event is happening, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by holy men of God or by prophets. So you can say today, why are you here? Why am I here? I'm here because God sent a prophet. I'm here because that prophet spoke. I'm here because he didn't just bring some doctrines. All kinds of people have done that. I'm here because God backed him up. I'm here because God proved it was the truth. I'm here because that has transformed my own life. Today, you don't have to go very far until you find mobs gathered around celebrities. Mobs of people wanting to get a glimpse. Say, what's driving them? What's moving them? We hear of things today right in our own community, in our own town, our own city. Dastardly, horrific events, slaughter and killing. I try to grasp when I read or see those things. This is so unreal. It's so inhuman. You wonder what moved that person. Was it greed? Was it hatred? And I think of the woman, the mother, who in the flames with her child in their burning or going to be burned and ran in. The young people did a presentation. I thought it was incredible. And came out scarred for life. And the daughter, beautiful daughter, Ashamed of her mother because of the scars that she bore to save her. What drove her to some force, some power. And I've seen right here on the island where our family lost, I think, five children. And, and, and uh, the firemen and police had to hold back the mother because she, she was going to run straight into that home. that was in, an absolute inferno. And I think they lost five children. Incredible. 
life is gone. And there was something in her of motherhood going to drive her into it. If just a human love can do that, what should the Spirit of God be doing in us as believers? And I, that's a question I'd like to send you from this place this morning. God, press through me. Move through me with the full force of the Holy Spirit. For the hour, for the hours upon us and for the word that you have for this day. That we might live it, that we might speak it, that we might give, that we might commit ourselves. Whatever you have in store for us. I want to be everything for the bright age. Hallelujah.